and I caught him. I got him. So, uh, but Jack Korak wrote a book uh, many years ago called On the Road. And uh, if you not have not read the book, it's really just a story of his own life of wandering basically in a car back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast. Um, are we good on this mic or is there a little feedback? We good? Okay, great. And uh, basically it's, it's the post-war American soul. It describes the, the condition of the American soul after the war. And uh, it described kind of a rugged individualism that has shaped our culture, people, and really kind of our perspective of religion and faith. Jack Korak had grown up a, 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 a Catholic, and yet in this book, he kind of abandons faith for a journey. And it's not about a destination. It's about getting in the car and just taking off. And we don't know where we're going, but it really doesn't matter because it's all about the journey. And it kind of developed this, this sense of individualism of what Mark Sayers, who wrote a book called The Road Trip That Changed the World, a critique of On the Road. I told my English professor friend that I read Mark Sayers' book, and he says, why in the world would you do that? How can you critique an existential expose of Americana, or whatever he said? I don't remember what he said. And so he came down hard on me for reading The Road That Changed the Road Trip That Changed the World by Mark Sayers. But Mark Sayers, from a Christian perspective, evaluates Korwak and this individualism and this search for meaning idea and says that basically what's come out of this generation is the sovereign self reigns, that who you are and who you are becoming is all about you and your independence and that we have become addicted uh, to being on the road, and we we need more of it in order to um, uh, meet our desires and satisfy us. And yet, what we're finding here in First Corinthians twelve is something quite different. What we're finding is a church was founded by Christ to be not this journey, even though the Christian life is often described as a journey. But it's a destination as well. And the destination is Christ-centered community among other believers. That's what the church is. That's why Jesus developed the church. And we find that all throughout Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We are to bear one another's burdens, right? And thus fulfill the law of Christ. Um, We find in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that we are to... Encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. Learn how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We need each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that three strands are better. That we need to be connected, interconnected. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 again reminds us that we are to encourage one another. How do we do that as a church? So that's really the question. And how do we do that in light of a culture that has taken a different road? And how do we bring that back and begin to impact culture with what it is that we do best? And one of the things that the church needs to do best is to become interdependent, not independent. We need to change our thinking. One of the things I read this week in preparation for this message on spiritual gifts is that the whole idea of having a personal relationship with God, you've heard that term, right? You need to have a personal relationship. You know what that kind of communicates? It often communicates 
Go over here and have a personal relationship with Christ. And we need to change our thinking and bring that back into the faith, into the church, and talk about it as a communal relationship with Christ. Sure, you have a personal relationship with Christ. Not, I'm not doubting that at all. I'm not contradicting that. But I'm also adding to that the communal aspect of your faith. That that's what your faith is about. It's interconnectedness with other believers. That's what real faith is all about in the context of the church. Now, let's take a look at verse Corinthians 12. So here we go. Now concerning spiritual gifts. So what Paul is doing in chapter 12, verse 1, is he's beginning by saying, this is got to be, this is going to recenter the church. This is what recenters who we are as a church. It's understanding spiritual giftedness. And until we understand spiritual giftedness, we may potentially get off track and become individualistic, isolated, don't need one another. That's why I titled the message, I need you, you need me, even if you don't really think you do. You do. You do biblically. You need each other. And we need to understand what that looks like and begin to live that out, right? So Paul says now concerning spiritual brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were unbelievers, Paul's talking about the life you had before you came to faith in Christ. You were led astray by these mute idols. He calls them mute idols. He's been talking about idolatry all throughout 1 Corinthians, by the way. All throughout, he's been talking about this idea of idolatry that seems to uh, have kind of put itself up against and uh, uh, in a competitive way against Christ. And that Paul is trying to call people away from idolatry which is simply loving something so much that it becomes the very most important thing in your life, where you draw your identity and your purpose and your energy from. Where does that come from? And Paul's asking the question, does it come from a mute idol? If it does, it's a mute idol. It's not a life-giving idol. Notice with language. It's mute. It can't change your life. It can't speak to you. It's not transformative. It's not going to meet your needs. You're going to sit there with it. You're going to be controlled by it the rest of your life, and it's going to leave you still empty and wanting more. That's what Paul says. Now, in contrast to that, those mute idols, however you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, that is, people in the church, by the Spirit of God, those in the context of the church, it says... Jesus is accursed. We don't say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So by the Holy Spirit, you and I have moved from idolatry into a place of accepting Jesus as Lord. And we've changed. And life has changed. And on the basis of that, on the basis of that transformation, on the basis of that worldview change, here's what the church now looks like. And he goes into the rest of the explanation of verse 4, that there are a variety of gifts, but one spirit. Varieties of ministries, same Lord. Varieties of effects, same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Very, very important. 
Each one has been given a spiritual gift or a, a manifestation, which is basically saying that the Spirit of God shows up when you and I use our gifts in a powerful way in the life of the body of Christ in the church for the common good. The common good is the benefit of other people. For no, for no one is just given the word of wisdom. For no one, it says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Another word of knowledge. And he goes through and he lists them for the several verses here of different kinds of verses or spiritual gifts. The gift of healing. He mentions the gift of miracles. He mentions the gift of prophecy. He mentions uh, the gift of tongues and so forth to illustrate the point that the body is very dynamic and that there are multiple different kinds of gifts. And so... But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing each one, it says, individually, just as he wills. Then he moves into an, a metaphor. For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. One body, many members. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. We all came in, entered in, through salvation into one body. And then Paul says in verse 14, but the body is not one member, but many. See, the body's not just one person. The body is just not one gift. The body is just not one uh, important contribution. It's multiple contributions, all firing at the same time. That's what the body of Christ looks like. Every part of your body works together and needs to function together and all needs to be firing to keep you going, right? It's the same thing in the church. We're needed. And, and, and there's a couple problems. The first one is, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body is one kind of a mentality that sometimes we have. That like somehow the hand has become more important than any other part of the body, so therefore I'm not important because I'm not that part. That's what Paul starts with. And then he talks about the usefulness of each part of the body. And then he switches gears in verse 21 and says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So now moving from this feeling inadequacy inadequate, like I'm not the hand, I'm some other part, and it's inadequate and it's not needed, to the body saying to you, you're not needed. That your part is not necessary in the body. And Paul has to address both of those as he describes the value and importance of spiritual gifts. So here's the three things that we learn from this passage that I want to present to you this morning. And that is, how we come back to center as a church is through three things. And they're all right here in the text. First is the presence of God activates the spiritual gifts in your life. Okay? That's the first thing. And we find that in the first three verses as well as in verse 12 and 13. Then in verse 4, and we go all the way from verse 4, four down to um, verse 12. And the second point is the purpose of your spiritual gifts is given by the Holy Spirit. You have a purpose, and it's been given by the Holy Spirit. And it is your spiritual gift. And then 
The rest of the chapter, in verse 13 all the way to 31, is your place or your role in, in the body of Christ is based on your giftedness. And so we're going to look at presence, we're going to look at purpose, and we're going to look at um, place. And they all help us understand the role of gifts in the church. So let me just fire through those. The first one is the presence of God. And the first three verses is Paul describes the contrast between following a mute idol and a living Lord is the contrast uh, of a person who was once apart from God in the world that has now come into the body of Christ. And, she, and Paul's describing that movement toward hopefulness from hopelessness. And uh, I read another great book many years ago. It's called Not On the Road, but The Road. Have you ever read The Road by Cormac McCarthy? Another great piece of literature. But instead of describing the idea of a journey, of leaving and going for something and seeking out pleasure and and moving outward, this is a story of kind of post-apocalyptic. The world has almost come to an end. Everybody, almost everybody has died. And it's the story of a father and son. The, The mother wasn't able to cope with the reality that there were so limited resources left in the world. And and everything is dark and, and has died away, and there's pockets of people. But what's really happened is people have turned to anarchy and cannibalism, and, and it's become dark, and it's become an apocalyptic, dark world. And this father and son are out to find a new civilization, to find people that uh, they can survive with. And the father gets sick and, of course, dies uh, uh, throughout, uh, at the end of the book. He dies... But, the, but not before handing off the son to a new family. And what's interesting about this book that's so different, uh, McCarthy puts in this idea of redemption right in the book because as he's handing off his son and he's dying, the woman and the family receive this little boy and say, we believe in God. And there's family here and there's hope and there's love. See, there's redemption at the end of the book. And it's the reverse of what the Bible describes as the fall of mankind. This is, the, this is the fall in reverse. And so you have the fall first, and then it's out of the fall comes redemption and love and hope and community and family, and there's hope for the boy. And, and McCarthy puts that in there, and that is, I think, what's happening here as we move from mute idols we, we've, we've, we've worshipped something that's lifeless. We've lived in a post-apocalyptic deadness in our faith. And yet what Christ offers is as we're being handed off to a new family, that's a picture of claiming Jesus is Lord. And that decision has to be made in each of our lives where we speak as Thomas spoke, my God, my Lord. Remember Thomas at the end in John 20, 28? He speaks the words. And says God is alive. It's the same as Peter in Matthew chapter 16. When Peter is confronted with Jesus. And Jesus says who do you say that I am? And, and, and Jesus, Peter, turns to, Peter turns to Jesus and says you are the son of the living God. Am I going too fast? You are the son of the living God. Alive. There's hope. There's a family. And that, we all need to come into that. That's faith. That's number one. 
But number two is purpose. And your purpose comes through your gift. Notice what it says in verse 3 or 4 all the way to verse 12 in the text. Do you see that in 4 to 12? It talks about there's one, there's one Christ, there's one baptism, there's one hope, but there's many gifts. And then it says here, but each one is given, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word common good means, it comes from the world of commerce. And in the world of commerce, you would trade in order to make a profit. So you're in some kind of business for profit. And so what Paul is using that word to describe is essentially when you come into the presence of God, calling Jesus Lord, you come into the church and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you a spiritual gift so that you can use it for the profit of others. That's the point. That's what the Spirit of God is doing in the church. He's giving us the ability to impact, encourage other people for their benefit, for their profitability. Do you see that? It's not for your benefit. It's not for my benefit. It's for someone else's benefit. A spiritual gift, by the way, is simply an empowerment by God to do something that you cannot do on your own ability to bring about change in their life, someone else's life. That's what a spiritual gift is. It's an empowerment by God so that you can do something. And when you do it and you do it well, and Paul lists various kinds of gifts in this passage, by the way, and that's not all of them. It's not exhaustive. There's, you know, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about other types of gifts of teaching and leadership and administration. Romans chapter 12 covers a lot of spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 covers a lot of the spiritual gifts as well. And so what, we're lear- what we learn in the New Testament is that Paul is describing various gifts, but it's not exhaustive. There's probably more. And there's a lot of different kinds of gifts, but it's an ability you've been given by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes upon you at the moment of this conversion and gives you a gifted ability to do something powerful in the body of Christ. Does that make sense? So now you can do and operate and do something that somebody else sitting next to you can't do. It's only what you can do. And your unique giftedness is unique to you. And it's as the Lord wills. Uh, you, you, can't, uh, you, you can't manufacture it. You can't like, say, this, these are the gifts I want and, uh, and, and push, your, kind of push yourself into it. It's what the Holy Spirit. He's the gift giver. We are the receiver. They're different kinds of gifts. They're for the common good. And there is God's will, basically as God wills in our lives. And I've kind of, what I've done is organized them into various categories so that I can understand. There's speaking gifts. There's support gifts. There's service gifts. Uh, sign gifts. And special gifts. And they all start with S, as you can see. And the reason why I do that is so I can remember them. But there's nothing magical about that. But there are several speaking gifts. The gift of teaching, the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, to learn information. That's all part of what I think is a teaching gift or a speaking gift. The gift of encouragement, I would put under that. The gift of evangelism. People just love to share their faith. And with great results, by the way. And they just love that. They're drawn toward it. And, and they, when they speak to somebody else, they, 
they tell people about Christ in a way that, that uh, uh, seems to produce more results. And that's what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that you don't evangelize only unless you have the gift, or you don't have an opportunity to teach unless you have the gift, or you don't have an opportunity to serve or encourage or do something else unless you have the gift. But if you have the gift, you need to be leading the rest of us. Does that make sense? That, that you're going to be out there in front, that, that something even a little bit more powerful is going to happen through your life than maybe through somebody else's life. So I share my faith, but I don't see the results that somebody who has the gift of evangelism. I really don't. I don't see the same level of results. Uh, but yet I still tell people about Christ. And we're all to tell people about Christ. Does that make sense? So we need to understand that. Um, So there's speaking gifts, there's support gifts like leadership and administration, prayer and faith. They support the work of Christ. You may have the gift of faith and you just believe God is going to do things. And it looks like the impossible, but you know God's going to do it. And you just have this insane ability to trust God in the midst where it looks like everything's going to fall apart. Or maybe you have the gift of prayer and you just keep going after this thing. You just keep on praying. You keep praying and you keep praying and and you see results. And when you pray, God answers your prayers. I saw that. And and you can write them down and you can specifically see and, and, and number the times that God has actually answered your prayers. It's a gift. We're all to pray, but some people really have the gift. We need that, don't we? Do we not need the people in this room, to have the gift of faith or the gift of prayer, not just simply one gift, right? Are you getting it? That that's how important it is. Service gifts, giving. We have people that have the gift of giving. And we're all to give to the ministry of the church. We're called to give. It's a representation of our faith, of our maturity. We are to give out of our resources. But yet some people have this massive ability to write checks and it's like, this is what I love to do. They, they, get, they get pleasure from it. And me, it's like, okay, I'm, I love it. I know it. I see God do result, have results in this. And uh, it changes my heart. And, I, and, and we do that. But some of you out there, it's like, man, I just, this is my, this is my passion. How can I give away more money? I mean, I, if I were God, and I think this is how it works, if, if, if people had the gift of faith, uh, continue to live out that gift, I would just continue to bless them with money, right? Because you know where the money's going. It's going to the ministries, right? They, they're they're going to start writing. They love writing checks. So God's just going to make them more. It's the same thing in evangelism. I remember Bill Bright with Campus Crusade for Christ many years ago as the gift of evangelism. It's now called Crew. And it's a ministry all throughout the college campuses around the country. And he he once said that, you know, if I just faithfully share my faith with people I meet, God's going to put the right people in my path. I mean, if I wanted to get somebody connected to God, I'd make sure that person met that person, right? Because they're going to do the, the job. They're going to do it because they just have the gift. So there's all these service gifts, and then there's these sign gifts, these manifestations of miracles and healings and prophecy and tongues. Jasmine, just this morning, I thought was a little prophetic gift because I was on the beach service and I was sitting in the front and she began sharing about that song that she heard on the radio about how God is closer than the oxygen we breathe. And in that little moment, 
I felt like God spoke to me a truth from his word to me personally. And it was like I had goosebumps. Just like it was, it was a message from God to me through Jasmine. Without her even knowing it, when she does those things in a prophetic way, what she's doing is exercising the gift, and there's the response. Somebody received it. I received that. I needed that in that moment. And, and it was like, wow. It was just like I was overwhelmed about the closeness of God in my life. I needed to hear that. It's not some big, gigantic revelation, but it was, it was what I needed in the moment that just kind of gave me another boost. Um, and then there's special gifts, craftsmanship. People have the gift of craft, worship, music. There's all sorts of gifts. So you get the idea. There are a lot of different kinds of gifts, and my encouragement is you got to find your gift. I wrote down in the bottom uh, uh, gifts. What, what's, the, what's the actual uh, website? Uh, here it is, giftstest.com. And you can actually go there. It's, there's nothing magical about this website, but if you go there and take the test, it'll help you. Sometimes just ask one another, hey, what do you think my gifts are? What do you see me doing best? Or just pray about it. Ask God, what, reveal your, the passion in your heart, in your life. Or sometimes just get involved. Just get going in a certain area and just do something and see if that brings results People respond, hey, thanks a lot. You're going to get good response, you know, and there's going to be fruit that's born as a result of that. One of the things that I have used in the past as I have taught spiritual gifts is, um, is how we respond in crisis. So you think of a crisis in your life. Think of somebody going through crisis. Let's take a hospital bed. So you walk into a hospital room and there's a hospital bed with a friend in it and we all respond differently. I don't respond the same way you respond. So you might respond and say, hey, can I pray for you? Or you may respond and you come to the hospital room and you're standing at the foot of the bed and you're, you ask your friend, how can I help you? Can I go home and feed your cat or your dog? Well, I'd feed the dog more than the cat, but that's okay. That's just my preference. And but so I, can I go home and help, help out with the animals or can I go water the plants or whatever? You just have, you just, you'll, you'll just jump in or, or I, uh, let's talk about hospital bills. I can help, you know, I can help financially. People have that gift. Um, you know, I walk in the room and I've researched the illness and I want to describe exactly what's gone wrong and how to solve it right? Because that's my gift. Oftentimes that's not the best place to use it at the hospital room. So I usually use it later, right? After they get out and then we can talk about that stuff. But sometimes you have the gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom, or you, you might have the gift of prayer or faith or what you, you see what I'm saying. You, you see what happens when you go into a situation like that. How do you respond? will help you sometimes find the gift that you have. And then finally, Paul ends with this. He goes from verse 14 to 31 to basically answer two questions or, or, or responses and uh, counters these two responses. One of them is, I'm not needed, and the other response is, you're not needed. You may feel like you're not needed, and Paul says that right here, that you're part of the body, but I don't feel like I'm a part of the body. I don't feel like my role is that important. And yet what Paul is saying is that in the context of the church, 
It is all important. Because how does a body function if we didn't have your part? See, there's something going on here, and it's the, what I read about in one commentator. It's the psychosomatic nature of the body. And the psychosomatic nature is the idea that the mind and the heart are interconnected and that the parts are interconnected. And when we suffer, one part of us suffers, the whole body suffers. So I'm paddleboarding with my daughter yesterday and I slipped on the paddleboard and my finger got jammed. Didn't think anything of it until I woke up this morning and it's black and blue and it's a little bigger than the other. And it's, it's, it, it hurt last night, and then it, was, it swelled up. And it impacts your whole body, doesn't it? Even a little tiny part of your body impacts the rest of the body. We suffer together, Paul says. We also grow together. We need each other. See, we're interconnected. We have to understand that and change our mentality. And it's a high challenge to a mature church that's ready to jump in and every person is needed. In 1 Peter 4, it says that we should all employ our gifts. In other words, there should be no unemployment in the church. I had a guy at the end of the last service came up to me and he said, he goes, what about all those people that are in those holding communities, in those holding places along the border? border?" asylum seekers and others. What are we doing about them? You said that everybody is part of the body in Christ. And I said, absolutely. That, that's a question for the church. That's what we need to be asking. What is our role? We don't stand and just go kind of push them out. They're part of our body. Is the church functioning even in those places, even in those marginal places where it's difficult and it's transitional for people? And people are suffering. How do we as a church respond? And how do we help build a church there for them? See, the hardest thing for us to do is to get over this idea that I just don't need the church. I was, um, I was on a ski trip with my father many, many years ago in Alta. And I would, he, he, he was a dentist. And, and he would take these dental conventions at all these wonderful places like British Columbia, where we would helicopter ski or, or Alta to, to snow ski, or we went hunting together, and they were dental conventions because they, they gathered at night and talked about teeth. So I guess it was a dental convention. But yet during the day, we had a lot of fun. I don't think you can do that anymore. But So I spent my life kind of following my dad around at dental conventions, which were really, really fun. And um, this trip on Alta, I got separated from the fathers and you know, the, all the dentists and and um, a few sons, and, and uh, so I rode up the chairlift with a guy that I'd never met before, and he was a local, and I told him, I was a pastor, and I'm missing my church, it's Sunday, but, you know, this is really, this is God's creation and all that, and this is really cool. He goes, he goes, dude, man, the mountains are my church, and I'm thinking, that's wonderful. I don't know how to respond to that. Like, what, what do I say? Uh, that's nice. I, I like that idea that the mountains are your church. Now, tell me how you use your gift for the common good of the mountains, right? You know, is there, a, is there something going on here that I see in Scripture that we are to follow? And that is that the church 
is an interdynamic relationship between believers, a local community of believers, for the building up, the developing of each other's giftedness so that we might go out to the mountains and meet people like that. Or we can go into the workplace or into the neighborhood. We are to be sent out because of the mission, but we are to be built up because of the church. Does that make sense? It's not an either or. We need both. You have to have both. And if you have the mentality that the mountains are your church, that's wonderful. But you're missing out. Where are your gifts being used to encourage the people in this room or on the beach or the churches that are meeting all over the world today or yesterday or tomorrow, whatever the time frame might be? You know what I'm saying? That that's, we got to ask that question. That there's no lone ranger Christian, that the church is important. Dr. Howard Hendricks is one of my favorite teachers that's passed away. And, and uh, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary many years ago. And, and someone came up to him and said, hey, Dr. Hendricks, I'm looking for the perfect church. You know one? And Dr. Hendricks says, yeah, but if you join it, you'll ruin it. See, I think we sometimes have a mentality that this church isn't good enough for me. I'm still looking. I'm looking for the perfect church that's got all the things. It's got everything in line. It's got everything I need. And it's the wrong mentality. Hendrick says, you're imperfect. The church is imperfect. It's made of imperfect people. But guess what? We're committed to one another for the common good. We're using our giftedness the best we can so that we all grow. We're all needed. So you're not, that idea that I'm not needed doesn't work. This doesn't work. Uh, Wayne Meeks wrote a book called The First Urban Christians. And he said that basically the early church bore a family resemblance. That the family structure was bigger than just the pater familia, just the individuals of the family. But there were actually slaves and freedmen and hired workers. It was interdynamic, independent. It actually, he says, became a new family. So the family structure with all these various people became the new family of the church. The the church resembled that. All different kinds of people. And that we now are part of one of that. So the question is, how are you part of that? What's your role? Where's your place? See, that's what Paul's saying. You have a place. You have a part in the body. And if you're not part of the body, if you're missing... We're missing out on that part. Does that make sense? We are totally missing out on that part. I mean, if you got a gift of miracles or the gift of healing or if the gift of faith or the gift of giving, we are missing out. It's for the common good. The second thing, and finally, Paul says, you aren't not needed. In other words, the body rejects people. And Paul wants to say, let me turn that around because what he basically says is the less honorable, the less, the less noticeable gifts are actually the more honorable gifts. I used to tell my Biola students that we're going to be amazingly surprised when we get to heaven and we look up and see all these people we never knew. Where all these people come from? Well, they, they didn't write a book. They're, they're not famous. They, they didn't speak. They didn't have a church. They, they didn't run a ministry. No, they didn't. They were behind the scenes. These are people that faithfully gave their lives and encouraged 
and loved and prayed and gave and did things that nobody knew about. And guess what? God is going to say, come here. I want to honor you. I want to honor you because of the life that you lived in the power of the Spirit in the body of Christ. And we all get a chance to be part of that. Every one of us when we change our thinking about it. So that's the message. And then finally he ends with, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. What's the greater gifts? Well, Paul just said there are no greater gifts. He just finished the whole chapter saying there are no greater gifts. So what's the greater gift? Why would he say there's a greater, desire the greater gift, the greatest gift? He's getting, he's playing with you. I think he's really playing with us. He's saying, wait, wait a minute. I just told you there's no greater gift. Therefore, the greatest gift is your gift done, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in love. It's when you decide to honor God and the power of the Spirit and offer your gift to the body of Christ. That's the greatest gift. The greatest gift. Does that make sense? No employment in the church. Unemployment in the church. We're all needed. So the question is where? Well, some of us function really well, and as Kathleen was saying, that our giftedness extends beyond the church into the world. It goes beyond there, and it can go into a classroom. It can go onto an airplane. It can go into the business world where you bring Christ into your business in the most powerful way because you're a gifted leader, you're a gifted uh, administrator. You know, whatever your gifts or roles are, you bring that, and you bring that into uh, a local community for the sake of Christ, bringing the name of Christ into that place. But you're trained up and developed and encouraged here. So my challenge for you this morning is, is next time I see you, I don't want to hear about your Enneagram. I love Enneagrams. I don't know what mine is, but that might give you a clue as to what my number is. If I don't know what it is, you know, but never mind. But the whole point is, A gift is not a talent. A gift is not an Enneagram. Those are wonderful. They help us understand who we are and our talents and our temperaments. But I want to know what your gift is. Because your gift, Blomberg says, other than coming into a personal relationship with Christ is the most important thing for the body of Christ. How has Christ gifted you? We need to get on that. We need to identify it and begin to use it. How do I use it? Lots of ways. Tons of ways. Think of some ways. Start something. Just start praying for people. Start a ministry. Join in our care group. Join in our small group. Be a giver in this church. Become part of our leadership. Become part of our mission and outreach. Become part of our children's ministry. Men's ministry. Women's ministry. There are just endless ways in which we can use our gifts, right? And the River Church has yet to see the best of us. Now it will because you know what to do. So let's pray. So worship team, come on up. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing, amazing uh, passage of scripture that empowers us and gives us the abilities beyond our own for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen.